Hello, everybody, and welcome to You Are Good. I am one of your co-hosts, Alex Steed. We'll be joined by my fabulous co-host, Sarah Marshall, momentarily, and we'll also be joined by the incredible BJ Colangelo, one of the hosts of This Ends at Prom, one of our favorite podcasts, a podcast that I believe launched the very same week that our podcast did. Love, BJ. We've had Harmony, who also hosts This Ends at Prom and is married to BJ, on the show before where we talked about Silence of the Lambs. Anyway, we're talking about Jingle All the Way today. I'd never seen Jingle All the Way before, but I love Phil Hartman, like with my whole heart. I love everything I've ever known about Phil Hartman. Inspired by this conversation, I sought out his biography, which is called You Might Remember Me, The Life and Times of Phil Hartman. And I read about three quarters of it, and I learned so many great Phil Hartman facts that I didn't know that maybe are well known to other people, but are not well known to me. One, he went to high school with Lynette Squeaky Frome of the Manson family fame. They knew each other. I think they considered each other friends at the time. He wrote in her yearbook and drew cartoons in there. He was an illustrator and a cartoonist and eventually a graphic designer. And someone had reached out to Frum in letters when Frum was in prison and asked what Frum's impressions of Phil Harmon were on Saturday Night Live. And, and Frum said, and she thought he was very funny, but not as funny as he was in high school, which makes me wonder how fucking funny was Phil Harmon in high school? <laughs> he must have been so, so funny. Anyway, I love that little tidbit. Love to know that they were palling around. So this is a movie about dads, and it's definitely an interesting commentary on, uh, you know, the capitalistic leanings of American Christmas, at least. I don't know how it is elsewhere, but it has a lot to say about these things, and I was fascinated to experience them for the first time. So I don't have a whole lot more to say that we don't say in this episode But before we get into the episode, I should tell you a couple of things. Uh, One, You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies, is made possible by you. Thank you so much to everyone who supports us on Patreon, patreon.com slash you are good. This is how we make the show, is by way of your support. And then what you get in exchange for that support uh, is bonus episodes. We do about a couple of bonus episodes a month. Right around the corner, we're going to be doing a bonus episode about Hook, in which Carolyn Kendrick our illustrious producer is going to appear. So it's going to be Carolyn, Sarah, and I, it'll be the three of us (laughs) talking about Hook. So thank you so much, everyone who supports us on Patreon. It means the world. It makes the show possible. And uh, and yeah, that's how it happens. It's also made possible with support by Knack Factory, K-N-A-C-K Factory, which is a commercial and creative video content production company based in Portland, Maine, with an office in Nashville, Tennessee, and does work throughout these United States. If you need that sort of work done, get in touch with the folks at Knack Factory. If you need a video made, if you need some content produced, if you need some audio put together, whatever it may be, talk with the folks at Knack Factory. They can help you make it happen. We have playlists that accompany each of these episodes as they come out. You can find them in the show notes. Find a link to the playlist in the show notes. Uh, Yeah, you might want to listen to the songs that come to mind when we think of Jingle All The Way and our conversation about Jingle All The Way. Uh, So check that out in the show notes. People appear to like these, so we're going to keep doing them. One last thing. We finally launched our Discord server, and I'm not going to say I was skeptical. I just didn't know enough about Discord to know what it was going to be. And I have been so heartened by the community of folks that has congregated at Discord just in the past week and talk about 
seemingly everything. I mean, we have channels on, you know, folks' crafts that they're putting together. We have channels on uh, podcasts so people can discuss podcasts. We have channels on talking about past episodes. We have a channel where just people do just share all their critters, the photos of their dogs and cats and lizards and birds and all that. <laughs> you know, and I didn't know what to expect. It really reminds me, and this is me talking to fellow olds and skeptics, because I know a lot of you already know this, but like, it reminds me a lot of what chat communities were like in the mid to late 90s. I really love it. It's a great group of people bringing that vibe to a chat. It's really great. So if you haven't found or explored our Discord server yet, and you are a person who might be into that, uh, you can find that link in our show notes. So check that out and come and join us on Discord. All right, that's all you need to know before we get into Jingle All The Way. Thank you so, so much for being here. You are good. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Ah, Alex Can you tell it's me, even though I'm wearing this costume that exposes my whole face? Sarah, I'm so excited, honestly. Is this the first Arnold Schwarzenegger movie we've done? No, wait, we did the Terminator 2 Argument Day. Oh, of course. It was a long time ago. So, so okay, we're, we're watching Jingle All the Way. I was so happy to spend time with Arnold. <laughs> me too. <laughs> we've tried to have our great friend, BJ Colangelo, on in the past. And fortunately, it worked out for Christmas time. And BJ... Tell us who you are and tell us why this movie. <laughs> so, hi, my name is BJ Colangelo, like you said, and I am a filmmaker and a film theorist, as well as a podcaster, co-host. Uh, this ends at prom, which is like a coming of age podcast with movies, the way that you're a feelings podcast about movies. Mm. But I really wanted to talk about Jingle All The Way because a big thing that I've sort of cut my teeth on in the industry, so to say, is that I love to defend movies that most people think are garbage. Mm -hmm. I love to find the value and the heart in movies that a lot of other critics just completely dismiss as being lesser than or unworthy. And it wasn't until a couple years ago that I realized that not everyone likes Jingle All the Way. <laughs> I'm a 90s kid. I was born in 1990, so I have a huge affinity and nostalgia for this movie. And it's only been very recently where I'll get assigned lists that are like the worst Christmas movies ever made. And Jingle All the Way is always on there. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> this movie's actually great. Mm -hmm. Sarah, what was your experience with this movie before today? So this one was really fun for me because I hadn't seen it since I saw it in theaters when it was released in 1996 <gasps> and I saw it with my dad. So it was wow. like a perfect time capsule for me. And weirdly, the main scenes that I remember are the one where Phil Hartman is in Arnold's kitchen baking his sugar cookies. <laughs> the part where Arnold is running around reciting all the reindeer names. I had never seen this movie because in 1996, I was listening to Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson in a dark room. Um, yeah. Like that's what I did the whole year. That's all I did. You were recovering from laser eye surgery. <laughs> I never saw this. It came out a little too late for when I would probably yeah. go and pursue this as a, as a Christmas movie. But... This movie has so many things from the time yes. that I love so much. Like, mm -hmm. we have Arnold. We have Phil Hartman. 
Sinbad. We have Sinbad. Like, <laughs> oh my god, this is so good. This is so good. Sarah, can you can you tell us what the story of a uh, jingle all the way is? I'm going to start by reading you without commentary my notes from when I watched this film. Oh, thank God. Chrissy from Moonlighting. <laughs> Number one customer. Child's Play Saw Liar Liar. Not a special toy, but obligatory. Has to save his son from being, quote, a loser. Stakes and emotion very clear. Suited for a young child. Minneapolis. <laughs> Phil Hartman. The way Arnold says Turbo Man. <laughs> <laughs> How let's, does he say it? Uh, let's all give it a shot. Turbo. Uh, <laughs> wait, no, that's Australian. Turbo man. No, that's that wasn't it at all. I can't do it. Alex, can you do it? I can't. I just he, he refers to it as a doll so often. I, I can't. It's a turbo man doll. Yeah. <laughs> that's, great. that's great. That's excellent. That's my here. That's beautiful. You're very welcome. At 17 minutes, Sinbad, quote, we're getting set up by rich and powerful toy cartels. Jake Lloyd. Yes. Employee trampled. Chris Parnell has been the same age for 25 years. <laughs> Rodney King, quote, I'm not a pervert. I just was looking for a turbo mantle. <laughs> Quote, hundreds of these things come through the mail every day. And then I stopped taking notes. <laughs> Those things are bombs. bombs. <laughs> There's a whole terrorism plot. Yes. So Jingle All the Way is this is to me is like one of the classic 90s movie setups. It's about a dad who works too much and is ignoring his family. And so to make up for a year of not trying very hard and especially missing his son's karate concert, he is like, <laughs> I will get you the Turbo Man doll. And then it turns out that it sold out everywhere. It was just like Tickle Me Elmo. And so he has a series of wild, almost impossible to describe misadventures looking for the Turbo Man doll. And... Every 20 minutes running into a very dangerous postman played by Sinbad, who's also trying to redeem himself as a father by getting the Turbo Man doll for his son. And it involves crashing a <laughs> gray market toy reselling company run entirely by Santas and elves and taking part in a small stampede at the Mall of America and also, he has to stop Phil Hartman from banging his wife, <laughs> played by Rita Wilson, the single most lovable woman of the whole 90s. <laughs> and it culminates with the police chase Arnold into the backstage area for the big Turbo Man float at the Christmas... The Wintertainment Parade. Wintertainment? Oh, my God. Yes. The, I love that. The Wintertainment Parade. And so Arnold accidentally becomes Turbo Man himself and gives his son the doll and selects him to be the special child on the float. And then Sinbad puts on the outfit of Turbo Man's arch nemesis and they have to have a superhero fight. And the last 10 minutes of this movie are just cuckoo bananas. They're incredible. <laughs> and then he wins. And his son gives the Turbo Man doll to Sinbad because he says, I don't need Turbo Man. I already have Turbo Man at home. My dad 
Because he's my dad. <laughs> Who I love now. <laughs> Jury was out 10 minutes ago. <laughs> it's incredible. It's a kid's movie that ultimately is about like the fantasies of dads. <laughs> and it's like you can coast for 364 days of the year as long as you get that freaking doll. Yeah, there's actually a speech about that. <laughs> BJ, like, so people don't, this isn't a revered movie. This isn't a movie that people love. No, people hate this movie. And I think that it's a victim of a couple of things. Mm. I fundamentally believe that a lot of film critics do not understand camp. Right. And they don't know what to do when they're presented with a campy movie. And this movie is extremely campy. Mm. And this is also one of the first big mainstream Christmas movies that is unafraid to say sometimes the holidays suck mm. and sometimes it's not a magical time. If you, if you think about it, Jingle All the Way and A Christmas Story are very similar in that the central conceit is about a child really, really wanting something for Christmas. And are they going to get it? We don't know. But whereas A Christmas Story is like this heartfelt, lovely thing, Jingle All the Way is like, no, it's terrible. It's an awful <laughs> commercialized experience. And this is also a time before online shopping and Black Friday mm. sales being what they are now, where you get a whole week of Black Friday sales. Like if you did not go to the store then and there to get your Tickle Me Elmo or your Cabbage Patch Kids doll, you didn't get it. Or if you didn't buy your good guy doll used from some rando <laughs> off the street, for example. Well, hey, there's no way to do this now, but I would love the Christmas story as told from the perspective of the old man. Oh, yeah. Trying to purchase a gun for a child. Yeah, totally. And just like just like <laughs> dealing with the chaos of his house and these fucking dogs that want to eat his turkey. So, Sarah, who is the bad guy in this movie? Christmas itself. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I bet this is a take you didn't expect from me. I really like it when Christmas movies have some room for Jesus. Mm. Not even that much Jesus, just a little Jesus, because like it is his holiday. <laughs> there doesn't need to be, but I like it when there's a little room on the plate for Jesus, you know. And so my mom and I historically always watched The Christmas Carol with George C. Scott, The Muppet Christmas Carol. And the bishop's wife. I was thinking, BJ, I wonder what you think about this. Because I feel like now it's like pretty standard for there to be like 25 Christmas movies a year. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this kind of started that. But it also feels like speaking to it as camp, that like it's self-aware about that. It's like, yep, no room for Jesus. Oh, yeah. I think that this movie does a really great job at looking at the way that the holiday is celebrated from a very capitalist and secular perspective there really isn't any sort of religious undertones. It is purely Santa Claus and gifts and making sure that you're with your family. And that is how I think so many people do celebrate the holiday. And mm -hmm. there's not a lot of movies about that. But I will say that there, if there's one holy thing to be considered, it's also this idea of like tradition and how people mm -hmm. are willing to go as hard as possible to maintain that tradition because the the one kryptonite that we have for Arnold here is uh Ted putting the star on top of his tree and that yeah. like motivates him and causes him to go so far into left field where he's punching reindeer and setting fires and stealing presents all because that was the the spark that hit it is you broke that tradition so now everything's got to burn with it mm. I love that <laughs> 
I love that too. And actually, I think that's the only religious presence in the movie is the wise man's head catching fire and being like Arnold kicking it onto the lawn. <laughs> I love that scene. And I was like, oh, Ted, oh, you do not put a star on another man's tree. That's mm -hmm. You're asking for it now. <laughs> He's eating cookies. He's singing carols with her with a caroler showing. Phil Hartman, you should have known, buddy. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, the thing that ends up driving everyone mad is is probably where Jesus is most subtracted from the holiday, right? Like in this in this movie, the entire point of the holiday is to like launder your bad behavior by some, you know, capitalist grand gesture, like getting exactly mm -hmm. the right toy or the right series of toys. The whole issue in this movie is that Arnold can't be there for his kid because he's a dynamic Austrian bodybuilder salesman. He like can't show up and he always thinks he's going to show up on time and he doesn't end up showing up on time because he doesn't plan accordingly because he's so wrapped up in his work. And the way that he gets out of that is he's like, what can I do for you? And his son is like, I want exactly the it toy of this year. And then Arnold loses his mind in that pursuit. So like he loses his mind 364 days out of the year by way of like his work. And then one day out of the year by trying to provide this toy to like make everything better with his son. Hmm. As I can see, I think it's pretty amazing. <laughs> I would say there's also an argument to be made that this <laughs> motivation to get the toy is less about making Jamie happy and more about covering his own ass. Yeah. Because Rita Wilson asked him to get the toy weeks ago and he's like, oh yeah, I got it. I just left it at the office. Let me go get it. Right, no, right, you right. did not, sir. And now you're running around in Minnesota on Christmas Eve. Right. It's almost like it's a wonderful life instead of a day of seeing what would have happened if you had never been born. It's like a day of having to make sure your entire family doesn't leave you by completing this Herculean series of tasks. It's like if you don't get this toy, your son will stop loving you and Phil Hartman is going to bang your wife. <laughs> <laughs> And he's Christmassier than you. I also love how his flex is that he's like Mr. Christmas. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's so it's it's kind of like a perfect analog for the fact that like Phil Hartman's not going to bang his wife because like she's not into it. <laughs> well, Phil Hartman's going to bang his wife because he's not there. You know what I mean? Like, right. this is either like all the fault of him being too wrapped up in his shit or like people have to be too productive in one way or another. But like, this is all the fault of the fact that like he is completely buried in work. And like while he's gone, it seems like Phil Hartman's whole thing is when husbands are gone or absent in one way or another. Like Phil Hartman comes in and bakes your cookies. Oh, yeah. He fills the void for all of the single moms in the area because they are so thirsty for Phil Hartman. <laughs> Every time you have a scene, that's not just the family. There's at least one lady in a turtleneck that's like, thanks for cleaning out my dryer the other day. Yeah, totally. <laughs> They're all amazing euphemism for fucking Phil Hartman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sarah, what is the, do you recall the conversation that Sinbad and Arnold have at the diner about their dads or about, about Sinbad's dad's dad in particular and like why this has become a hairy race for him? Sinbad says that he wanted the it toy when he was a kid and his dad never got it for him and let him down. And then Arnold, imagine his character's name is Howard, but like, come on. <laughs> Arnold imagines his son growing up to be Sinbad, an angry postal worker who's drinking whiskey in a diner in the middle of the day, which is fine aside from the anger part. <laughs> 
and is like, I got to get this toy or like my entire my child's whole future will be ruined. Is that what you take from that, Alex? Yes, I do, for sure. But also just like thinking of Sinbad doesn't want to be a bad dad like his dad was a bad dad. Mm -hmm. That tension ends up passing on to your kids where you're like, my dad fucked up, so I'm going to overcorrect on being fucked up myself. And in the process of overcorrection, getting arrested at a parade for fighting with a superhero like a fake superhero on, on a on a flute like just thinking about like how how much parental shenanigans ends up being from either like neglect or trying to overcorrect Mm-hmm. It's definitely misplaced trauma. I mean, obviously, Sinbad did not have the greatest upbringing, didn't really like his dad. And he's trying so desperately not to repeat those same mistakes. So he's become really fixated on this idea of like, if I would have just gotten that one toy for Christmas, maybe my entire life would have been different, which we know is ridiculous. Like that is not going to be a butterfly effect that changes everything. But you need something tangible to focus all of that trauma on. And that's what he's done. And, you know, he's sort of passing that on to onto Arnold Schwarzenegger to be like, yeah, I can't let my kid down and you can't let your kid down. We can't be the shitty dads that we had. We have to be better. And they don't know how to be better dads when they could just be more present in their kids' lives. Mm. No, toys. (laughs) (laughs) That's, you know, a possibility. But instead of having that actual realization, it's like, no, it's, it's the present. It's the toy. And I'll fully admit that I grew up really, really poor and we did not always get fruitful Christmases. My parents did the best that they could, but I did never had like the cool hip toy. That was never a thing. And when I was in my twenties, I was still coaching baton because I was a world champion baton twirler for many years in my life. And we do like an annual Christmas show. And one of the dads always dresses like Santa and gives out like little tiny trinket gifts to all of like the little, little girls taking lessons. And my dad was Santa one year. And as a joke, I sat on my dad's lap and he's like, what do you want for Christmas? And I was like, I don't know. I really asked for this My Little Pony toy when I was six and I never got it because we couldn't afford it. That was a bummer. So that year for Christmas, my dad got me at like at the time, a 24 year old, the My Little Pony doll that I did not get when Mm. I was six. And I cried for like three hours. Mm. So it's it's interesting because on one hand, I'm like, OK, there's definitely some like misplaced issues going on with Sinbad and with with Arnold. But at the same time, like that really did mean a lot to me. Like I definitely turned into like Judge Reinhold getting his Oscar Mayer weenie whistle in the Santa Claus where it like <laughs> everything comes full circle. So I get it. Sometimes like those stupid little gestures really do mean something, but it's the context in which you are given that gift that really is the impact. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely Christmas gifts and like the joy of receiving them that I still remember is like emotions of an intensity that it's like very hard for me to reach now, even with like much larger stakes. Mm -hmm. How when you're a kid, there's really only one means of accessing toys and it's like having someone to buy one for you Mm -hmm. and like your power is very limited. And so receiving toys as a child or whatever it is that you you're hoping for or what a parent is able to surprise you with is like it's a very powerful experience i also feel like this movie is like maybe more nihilistic than the movie the 90s was ready for because Mm -hmm. like i think the framing is so interesting where it's like the kid really wants the the turbo man (laughs) i can't do it the turbo man doll and 
it's framed as like every other kid is going to get it. Every other kid already has it. If Jake Lloyd doesn't get Turbo Man, then he's going to be a, a loser. And so it's like it's not like, you know, you're getting your kid a special thing that like nobody else can get. And it's special because of that. Or like they just really, really want it. It's like, no, if they don't have this toy, then like they're going to get left behind in the dust mm. and then there'll be a mailman. Yeah. And I think that's also important, too, is that we're dealing with dads from two entirely different circumstances because Myron is the mailman and he talks quite frequently about how poorly everyone treats him for being a mailman. Mm -hmm. Either, you know, you make fun of me when I have to wear my little shorts in the summer kind of thing mm -hmm. and how much he has to work because he's a mailman and they work every day. And then you have Arnold, who is by choice a workaholic. He's a mattress salesman. I don't know why there is such a thriving mattress <laughs> sale going on. No Internet. <laughs> you know, good point. <laughs> you know, the on Christmas Eve Eve, you like gather the family together and all buy a mattress over the phone. <laughs> they don't have somebody advertising Casper mattresses in their ear every week. Yeah. <laughs> but you look at Jake Lloyd's bedroom and also this is pre-Marvel. So like, like before it blew up into what it is now. And he has murals of Captain America on his bedroom wall. That's pretty sweet. They're so cool. But you know that shit was expensive. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they, they have the money for Turbo Man. It's not a matter of not being able to get it because of financial means. It's a matter of your dad fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he wasted mm -hmm. too much time. First of all, like I'd love to talk about Myron generally because mm -hmm. I think they're coming from these two different angles for sure. Like I think like Myron is ripe for some QAnon shit. Like Myron straight out the gate talks about like a media conspiracy that's trying to get people to buy toys. And he knows because he like went to college for a little bit and he took a psychology class. And I was like, <laughs> this guy could easily be a spokesperson for QAnon. <laughs> like, and this is also a kid's movie where somebody shouts Rodney King while he's being tackled, which is like the most mid 90s thing I can even think of. And accuses Arnold of racism for what was the thing for he said this is exactly what Jesse Jackson's talking about. Right. I, d I don't find Arnold's character guilty of racism specifically, although I could have done a closer watch looking for those themes. But like, don't you feel like there's an interesting like it's like a zero sum dad world out there and two dads enter one dad leaves. <laughs> That's very much what what's happening. And I, if I remember correctly, I think the racism comment comes from him wanting to team up with Arnold. I mean, like, let's right, do this right, together. Right. We can tackle more ground. And he's like, no, I really got to do this for myself. And he's like, OK, yes. <laughs> and is very not <laughs> thrilled about him wanting to go solo, which I think tactically was a bad move because this guy's a wild card. <laughs> like, I think they could have found some turbo men together. He's so unhinged. And the worst part about Myron and his his conspiracy theories, he's not wrong. <laughs> like he's right. absolutely correct. Mm. The toy companies are making your kids feel like crap and telling them if you don't have this cool toy, then you suck at life. And then they really want it. And then when you buy it, it is cheap plastic. It is falling apart. And 
like the rant that he goes on the the start of that before he really like (laughs) deludes into madness is he starts talking about children writing their letters to santa and it's like i want a bike and i want a slinky no your father's been laid off and it's like that's real (laughs) that is a very real emotion coming out of him right now and i understand why he's so bitter this is probably the first day he's had off to go find this toy yeah I feel so bad for him, but I'm like, you are so vulnerable and absolutely you would fall into QAnon. <laughs> mm, wow. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, he did the research. He's He's got a lot of actual real resentment and doesn't understand that, like, it is the toy companies, but it's also, like, the entire system around the toy companies. Right. <laughs> What's more QAnon than taking a Radio DJ hostage? <laughs> That's played oh, by poor Martin Mull. <laughs> Mr. Ponytail Man. Oh, it's so good just putting martin ball in a ponytail is is great work that's that's high comedy see but that moment though is that is when it becomes so camp and i don't understand how people don't realize what they're watching because people are calling in to name all of the reindeer and for some reason no adult knows all of the name of the reindeer which i feel like has been omnipresent since the 40s i don't know do you really not know donder maybe wow i don't know him Dasher, Donner, Cupid, Comet, Blitzen. But that's how Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer song starts with... No idea. The roll call. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know that, actually. (laughs) I've heard that song as many times, I'm sure, as you have. I just don't (laughs) listen to words that way. (laughs) But, like, people call in, and they're, like, naming members of the Jackson 5. Like, friends, you cannot take this movie seriously. And so many people are like, I can't. It's too silly. Yeah! That's the point. <laughs> I love the moment where, so we've had this whole bomb scare with Martin Mull, and then it turns out it's not really a bomb that Sinbad is using. It's just a music box. And so then the police bomb squad is investigating this other package that Sinbad threw at them. And I was like, oh, it would be pretty hardcore if this movie had that just be a bomb and had it explode (laughs) and like blow that guy's head clean off. Um, And then they did have it explode. And I was like, geez. And but then it just told the guy showed the guy being all smoky with his hair standing up. He looks like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Right. And I love that. We're totally in a cartoon universe. Yes. Yes, we are. Sarah. Can you tell me more about you wanting more Jesus in a Christmas movie? I'd love to, even even if it's just a splash of Jesus. What's that about? What's that about? Yeah, I think it's fine to make a Jesusless Christmas movie, but I always enjoy it. Like I believe in Jesus as like a person who lived and had some really smart ideas and seems like a good guy. And I always like to think about Jesus at Christmas. I think that that's I should be allowed to enjoy Jesus. Dang it. So I've got I've got some questions for you about about Jesus movie. So Home Alone does that have does that, with the the church conversation with the old man? Even though Jesus, I don't think is explicitly mentioned. Would you would you argue that Jesus makes an appearance there? Yeah, I think it's like they're like here's Jesus's house. He's not here right now, but like we're gonna have a Jesusy talk in here. Yeah, because this is where I was really fascinated with the turn at the end of this, right? Where where Jake Lloyd, Anakin Skywalker, mm-hmm. gives the toy to. And by the way, there is an "I am your father" moment in this where he says to Anakin Skywalker, who's not yet Anakin Skywalker, oh, yeah. which I think is amazing. But I was surprised at the end where where again, like the it's great. There's this really lovely turn in the movie. 
where he gives the toy to this put upon working class man who's lost his mind because of the holidays. And I thought that was going to be the Jesus turn. I thought that was going to be the like, this is the spirit of the holiday. This is what we do. This is lovely. But no, it's I have the luxury of this superhero in the incarnation (laughs) of my father, which is kind of Jesus. If you think about it, (laughs) but but I was surprised. I thought that the turn was going to be like, we learned a valuable lesson and there's no lesson. Yeah, no, there's no, it's like, don't let Phil Hartman bang your wife is the lesson. (laughs) Cover him in eggnog. (laughs) I also like how Phil Hartman managed to miss that entire superhero fight. (laughs) Like he makes a pass at Rita Wilson. She dumps eggnog on him. Then she goes to the parade. There's an entire superhero fight involving jetpacks and her child almost falling off of a building. And then Phil Hartman shows up, still covered in eggnog. It's like, what was he doing? He was probably banging someone's wife. <laughs> <laughs> he helped, He gave somebody a jump in the parking lot and then one thing led to another. Yeah. Maybe that's what Johnny was referring to when he said, Dad, you smell like barf. Oh my like, God. it wasn't the eggnog. Uh. It was some strange housewife. The heat of the friction upon the eggnog (laughs) bj i'm curious like outside of you believing and i i would agree like that this movie was just assessed for the wrong parts of its text probably what do you think like works about this movie so i'm the complete opposite of sarah and that i love when christmas movies have no jesus because (laughs) uh i grew up in a completely secular household but i the area that i grew up in is the city of zion so every street that ran north south is named after a different character in the bible jesus is a big deal where i grew up so living in the house that did not go to church every Sunday made me a huge outcast. So around Christmas time, I always felt really weird because my family definitely celebrated from the secular have a Christmas tree because it's beautiful and go to Macy's and buy really cool ornaments and then get presents, not the let's happy birthday Jesus this up. Um, So I always felt really, really weird about it. And Christmas movies never cater to those families, unless it's done in a way that is very nihilistic or, Hmm. you know, is a satire of the Jesus-y movies. And this is a movie that like really resonated with me because I never felt othered by it because Mm -hmm. there isn't that like big spring of like, and here's where we're all going to hold hands and pray, which always takes me out of everything. The reason that I love the Muppet Christmas Carol so much is because there are Muppets and I can suspend my disbelief of how many like Christ allegories there are in there because they're Muppets. And I'm like, oh, but I love them. That's great. They're Muppet allegories now. (laughs) Yes, exactly. They're Muppet allegories. Um, So I feel like this movie really does speak to those of us who do celebrate the holiday season from a secular standpoint. That works really well for me. Um, Phil Hartman, this is arguably one of his best performances. And oh, my God, it's great. He's so funny. The, The control that he has over his voice and the character shifts that he has. The best Phil Hartman moments or when he's on his own, when he's antagonizing Arnold Schwarzenegger on the phone mm-hmm. or or even the confrontation after, you know, he's kicked Balthazar's head off and he, he looks at Arnold and he says, you can't bench press your way out of this one with the <laughs> utmost <laughs> seriousness, which is a great moment because I'm like, OK, so people in this movie do know that this guy is ripped, right? Like we've confirmed that people have noticed this. 
Because no one mentions it at all aside from that. And you're like, is it just normal? Okay. What's so funny is that this movie acknowledges that he's humongous and that, you know, he talks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, But at the end of the movie, it takes him taking his helmet off for Rita Wilson to be like, that's my husband. When who who else in the area is built like your husband? Literally no one. I've been to Minneapolis. (laughs) There's lots of guys like that. Just built like your husband and just yelling in an Austrian accent (laughs) at your fucking face. Like... Rita Wilson actually hates this movie, and it's specifically for that reason, because she thinks uh, it makes her character seem stupid, because <laughs> why would she not have known? And I'm like, it's okay, Rita Wilson, I will love this movie three times harder to make up for your hatred of it. If you're going to make a Christmas movie that is not about like the spirit of the season, that Bong Joon-ho quote uh, that like we all live in the same country and that country is capitalism comes to mind because like mm-hmm. largely the other alternative for a Christmas movie that's not Jesus-y is just like cash grab <laughs> in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Like how does one strike a balance about making a Christmas movie that is not too Jesus-y and not a movie like this, which is just like, uh, you know, about ultimately getting toys. I like the idea of it being a capitalist critique. Like that, that to me is the most compelling yeah. piece of this movie. I was like, especially when you get into the CD underbelly of the mall Santa toy <laughs> <laughs> illegal <laughs> that was intense dude operation i mean we've got jim belushi we have the big show we have Vern troyer there's a lot of just random cameos happening there and that fight scene is so funny and ridiculous because you watch it and you're like that's that's silly movie magic and then you really sit there and think about it and you're like oh no there's gotta be some like weird underground lol surprise doll ring Dang. where they've already figured out what's in the balls and repackage them to sell to your kids like that absolutely Absolutely exists. Do you remember the office version of this where the hut toy, it was like a like a, a Barbie with like a unicorn horn. Yeah. And Dwight was basically hoarded a bunch and was reselling them to parents. And he ended up having to sell one to Toby, but it ended up being um, brown. Like the, do- the doll was brown. Mm-hmm. So like Toby was obviously surprised, but then had to like. He, it was like this really funny moment of catching a parent like being like benignly but like definitely racist. <laughs> and he was like, I, this is not what I'm looking for. But this no, this is great. It's perfect. Like, I thought that that was like the funniest redo of this entire joke. Like there is a CD reselling black market of these things <laughs> like that definitely exists. That's how Chucky gets into the home. Is it? Mm hmm. Yeah. And so a random dude like resells it on the street to Catherine Hicks. And that's how that happens. I totally forgot about the like trafficked element there. That that was, oh oh my God, I love that. This is the only place from my childhood that I can like really imagine where entrenched gender shit was like conscious in my brain was like the idea of you were going, I had a thing that was like Turbo Man, but it was like a 12 inch RoboCop where if you like pressed buttons, it like made noises and stuff. It was fucking awesome. And if someone was like, here's your doll. I would have lost my mind because it's an action figure and they call Mm -hmm. this thing a doll. Sinbad calls it a fruity doll at least once, (laughs) but they call it a doll so often. He also calls him Turtle Man. Fruity Turtle Man. Can we talk about the slurs that Booster is subjected to? First of all, everyone hates Booster, which makes no sense to me. Booster's awesome. Yeah, BJ, do you know about the thing where they say the F word in this? 
Yeah, they sure do say the F word. And, and they ADR it into the movie after the fact. Yeah, yeah they, they sure do. So, <laughs> And not the F word we say all the time on here either. <laughs> no, it's the F word that we say on my show because we're allowed to. <laughs> but what's so interesting about this is, and, and we talk about this a lot on The Sunset Prom because we deal frequently with movies that are dealing with teenagers and sometimes preteens and a lot of them mm-hmm. from the 90s and into the 2000s. I, I this is obviously not a defense of it in any way, <laughs> but that's how nine and ten year olds were communicating with each other in 1996. Like this is mm-hmm. when people are starting to sneak out at night and watching South Park and everything is we, we always say redacted instead of saying the R word like, oh, if you do that, you're redacted or like, oh, don't do that. That's gay. Like this is when this is becoming such a part of the public consciousness that as much as I'm like, oh, I get a little dog eared whenever I hear the word used in movies. I have to sit back and remind myself that is exactly what fifth grade sounded like to me because mm. everybody said that they didn't fully understand the weight or the gravity of what they were saying. But little boys would pick on each other and say that to each other constantly. I mean, look at the monster squad. One of my favorite movies of all time. They Mm. call each other the F slur nonstop in that movie because that was an accepted way of communication. It doesn't mean that it's right, but to say that it was not how things were is just inaccurate. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I saw someone make the point on Twitter where they were like, this wasn't just dialogue in the movie. Like someone went back and recorded the ADR for this line because it wasn't a thing that just like naturally happened. And so they were like, what's the line that we put here? (laughs) And it's just wild to think that that was the one. That was a choice, like a very intentional choice. Yeah. you, Sarah, you were very uncomfortable with how that character is treated. Well, yeah, because Booster is Turbo Man's sidekick. He's a pink, fluffy tiger, I believe, played by Booger from, oh my God, what's the movie? Revenge of the Nerds. Which has also aged like milk in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like the running joke is that Turbo Man is sold out everywhere, but you can get Booster, but nobody wants Booster. Mm. And like, I want Booster. Booster looks cool. I agree. (laughs) I just feel bad for Booster. Somebody needs to want Booster. It's also such a weird thing because that would be like if somebody went to the store and they were like, well, we don't have any Batman toys, but we do have Robin. And then everyone was like, Robin, I'm going to punch you in the face over this. Like, no one's going to attack Robin at the parade. They're going to be like, oh, cool. It's Robin. That's awesome. Yeah. This is kind of amazing. Like, this felt very much like a a time capsule of a specific period. And it was, yeah, it was great. Like to your points earlier, it was really great to spend this much time with Phil Hartman in a role I haven't seen him in because I love Phil Hartman so much. The the cookie scene is just unbelievable. Like, so another thing that this movie does that I don't think that it gets enough respect for is that this is clearly a children's movie. Like this is a movie that is meant for children. It is wacky. It is right at like the tail end of Arnold's comedic run. And... It's meant for children. But Mm -hmm. like we know with every children's movie ever made, there's a lot of adult humor, which is why we get Sinbad talking about Rodney King. Kids probably don't know what that means. Um, But the innuendos in this movie are out of control. And they're all ones that I definitely missed as a kid. But I watched this movie constantly. And it was probably about high school that I really 
realized what was going on with like what's your mother doing oh she's petting ted (laughs) referring to the reindeer that the johnny is named after his dad or just phil hartman going oh your wife's cooking like he's clearly that that's his version of macho posturing because he can't compete physically with arnold schwarzenegger so he can do that and the exchange between the two of them is just so funny and it's such a wonderful comedic bit like you can buy ugly Christmas sweaters that say put that cookie down now Hmm. like it is that is the scene that really captures the heart of this movie of there's innuendos there's ridiculous line reads everybody's a cartoon character and there's a lot of anger that's jingle all the way is that scene Hmm. yeah I can imagine people responding to it negatively because it's like too accurate a portrait of what Christmas is in America but like Mm -hmm. It's so recognizable. Like this is these are our Christmases and probably in a way more now than then, because it feels like we're living in leaner times than in the mid 90s. More of us are Myrons. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Really, that is the truth is we all have sort of become Myron. We don't have the luxuries to stay at home and bake a thousand cookies and listen to the Christmas carolers in our neighborhood because we have to hit the pavement and do what we can to like make sure our families are taken care of in superficial ways and practical ways. And Mm -hmm. it's a lot harder. And that's why so many of us have complicated relationships with Amazon Mm. (laughs) because (laughs) we know they're an Uh evil corporation, but sometimes that's the only way to get what your kid wants for Christmas in time. Yeah. There's also to me something like wonderfully eerie about the fact that they've set this movie at Christmas time in Minneapolis and they filmed it in April I think so there's like very little snow on the ground and what there is is like melting and so it just feels like a flash forward to like the ravages of climate change Mm. (laughs) (laughs) that's a really bleak and accurate description of what's going on I want to know how much money this city commerce had to put on that freaking parade though it's beautiful parade it is a gorgeous parade and there are like it looks like like Macy's <laughs> like why are there so many costumed characters why are there so many floats that are the coolest floats I've ever seen why is does Turbo Man have a full band including somehow an electric guitar <laughs> I really need to know <laughs> oh my god when that electric guitar solo started I was so happy and then why does Turbo Man have jet packs yeah. as well <laughs> that function <laughs> Right. That's, yeah. <laughs> Why does he have those? Why does he have the disc launcher that absolutely would have killed Sinbad if he actually got hit in the head with them? <laughs> mm-hmm. Why is he able to fly around downtown? Oh my God. Yeah, what permits were passed? Like, the, you really do, because we're, again, we're in a cartoon. And I think that a movie like Jingle All the Way would have fared better now in our superhero obsessed world. I think in the 90s, people were like, that's ridiculous. That's silly. Nobody cares about that. But now it's like, I I've been to Comic-Con. I've seen some of the things cosplayers have come up with. I can get on board with this. <laughs> Do you think that Americans, like that adults specifically, are more accepting now of caring about superheroes than they were back then? Oh, definitely. Hmm. Because superhero content once upon a time was geek counterculture. Lois and Clark. <laughs> yeah, but now it's just this is this is the common thing. This is what everyone's talking about the same way that everyone would be like, hey, did you catch that episode of Seinfeld? Everyone's asking, mm. hey, did you see the latest 
episode of WandaVision. And right. you almost have to understand what's going on in these universes to be able to have conversations with just like average people. I'm rewatching Seinfeld and uh, and Newman's whole thing was he was like a on the edge, probably going to kill a bunch of people someday postal worker. We really were focused on... <laughs> disgruntled postal workers for like real reasons in the in the Mm -hmm. 90s to the point where like they Mm -hmm. were characters in kids movies alex do you know what beloved podcast did like its second episode on this topic was it yours yes (laughs) (laughs) radio lab I guess did my eel that just told a joke face too. I really liked it. <laughs> what was, so Sarah, what not? I mean, we can point people in that direction, but like, why were we? Why were we so focused in the mid '90s pop culture on postal workers? I mean, yeah, I haven't heard that episode in a while. But what I recall is that there were a couple of highly publicized events where postal workers killed either multiple people in the workplace or one person, and. This partly connects to quality of life for, I think, urban and suburban postal workers, because essentially they just are worked like machines. Mm. And that perhaps relates to that. I mean, it's funny because we don't joke about that anymore. And I feel like we did at the time because in the 90s, a workplace mass shooter incident seemed strange, whereas now it just is something that happens like hail apparently we've chosen to see it that way but also it's i feel like it's still like a very known thing that like the post office is in shambles and postal workers are being pushed far beyond their capacities yeah i haven't heard someone say like going postal in decades yeah. but like that was like very much a thing yeah I feel like the the phrasing of going postal is now in the same world of like the save icon being a floppy disk mm. and that plenty of people <laughs> use it, but don't actually know what it means. Yeah. Right. Yeah. God, you know, I miss floppy disks. They were like USBs that were easier to get into the thing. <laughs> like if I'm at a like at a flea market and there's a there's like mm-hmm. a box of floppy disks, I'll buy them because I'm like, I'm sure there's some wild shit on these floppy disks. Oh, yeah. I just have boxes of, like, <laughs> secondhand floppy disks. This is how you're going to discover a murder one of these days. Totally. Or some kid's porn from 1994. <laughs> Either way. Well, it's part of the fun if you buy, like, VHS tapes that people have clearly recorded off the TV. Because, yeah, not only do you get commercials, which is always fun, but sometimes you'll get, like, local news and hear the mm-hmm. way that people used to talk about things. And that's always exciting. Yeah. That is. So, okay. So, BJ, mm-hmm. if you are trying to explain, you're trying to sell somebody on this movie at a bar, what's your what's your pitch? Okay. So, my pitch for Jingle All The Way is, I don't know if you are like me, but the holidays are not always the most wonderful time of the year. And sometimes it's really, really difficult. And you want to be able to laugh at your own pain. I suggest watching Jingle All the Way, a very nihilistic and sardonic and satirical look at the commercialization of Christmas that is funny enough and has plenty of Phil Hartman to make you (laughs) laugh so that you don't cry when you let the reality settle in of, oh my God, my entire world is dictated and centered on how I act and what I buy for 24 hours every single year. That's fabulous. 
It's a beautiful horror movie about people trapped inside of capitalism and escaping through a fever dream. It really it, see what's funny. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched the show Solar Opposites. It is the mm-hmm. spinoff, uh, not spinoff, but the second animated series from the guy who made Rick and Morty. And it's about aliens. But they did a Christmas special last year mm-hmm. where they take the Ready Player One machine where they can enter a Christmas movie and they choose Jingle All the Way, having never seen it. (laughs) And then they go in there and they're like, this is not a Christmas movie. This is terrible. So they bail and they're like, we're not doing this. And then it inadvertently ruins Christmas because they didn't fulfill the mission of getting Jamie the Turbo Man doll. So then they have to go back in and essentially go on Arnold's run and get the kid, the Turbo Man doll. And because they originally failed, it just makes the world even worse. And it's like this terrible wasteland because <laughs> it really is just like the world trapped in a capitalism nightmare <laughs> it's gorgeous sarah people people won't be uh surprised i mean you've just mm-hmm. referred to this as a horror movie but people won't be surprised that you texted me and said that this could be a saw installment yes can you tell me how you see that i mean this is 100 percent the classic setup for a saw movie which is oh no a guy doesn't have enough time for his family He's late tucking his daughter into bed or he yells at his son one time. Here comes Jigsaw and the Jigsaw is going to teach you a lesson and you need to appreciate life more by sawing off your foot and then you'll be a good dad. And this is a movie about a dad being neglectful and then being punished, not by Jigsaw, but by capitalism itself. And I think we can agree who's a harsher mistress. (laughs) I think you're on to something, Sarah, because I feel like Jingle All the Way has a lot in common with Saw 6, which is the big takedown on the American healthcare right. system. And this is very much a takedown on capitalism. So, the, yeah, these are cousins. These movies are cousins. They are. Yeah, Saw 6 is so underrated. It really is. Agreed. As I read in the random facts is that Joe Pesci was originally being eyed for the role for the role of, um, what's his name? For Myron. 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 I think he would have been both scarier and less scary then. (laughs) The other is like, I really would love to have seen Bruce Campbell in Arnold's role. Oh, yeah. I think like this could have had like a really nice Evil Dead slapstick tone. But, you know, I'm glad we got the Arnold version. I am too. Especially because I don't know if you know this, but do you know that there is a jingle all the way too? I don't. I had heard that. Doesn't that have Larry the Cable Guy? It sure does. It stars Larry the Cable Guy. And the premise of it is that Larry the Cable Guy is like a truck driver dad and he's divorced and his wife has married this super wealthy, like cool dad. And he wants to get his daughter what she wants for Christmas and betrays her trust by reading her letter to Santa And he thinks that his kid's an idiot, I guess, and doesn't know how to spell things. So he reads it phonetically and is like, oh, she must want this toy. When in reality, that's not what she wanted. But you don't get that till the end. Oh, Larry. This is why the anti-education cultural wave you represent has flaws. (laughs) (laughs) But she she wants like this, you know, fancy talking bear toy. And then the stepdad that he's in fighting with I guess to be who's the cooler dad because men turn everything into pissing contests instead of just letting Larry the cable guy buy this toy for his kid which is readily available um, he buys all of them in like a tri-county area so then no one can have them like it is so bananas and 
so stupid and so not good. And it just hurts my heart. I'm like, people want to yell at Jingle All the Way when Jingle All the Way 2 is right there and ready (laughs) for that criticism. I also I love thinking about that screenwriter being like, how do I get around the Internet? (laughs) I know. (laughs) By all of them. But because Jingle All the Way came out the same year as Space Jam and one of the Star Trek movies, it definitely could get remade. And the theory Mm -hmm. that I have is that if they ever remake this, Arnold Schwarzenegger will be replaced by one of three people. It'll be Dwayne Johnson, Dave Bautista, or John Cena. No oh. other options mm. because they're going to want somebody beefy. And then Myron will be Kevin Hart and no one else will be asked to read for the <laughs> That's your choices. That's great. I'm really hoping that it doesn't happen because my other theory is that if they do this, then the toy will no longer be a Turbo Man because obviously superheroes are the coolest thing now. <laughs> so they'll mm-hmm. invent some like stupid tech toy that adults think kids will like. But in reality, kids will be like, that's corny and I don't want that. <laughs> so I hope they never remake it. I hope that they keep this as a perfect time capsule of, of 90s stress Christmas buying because... It really is a time capsule of the era, and I like when we have those. Yeah. It's very, it's a special movie. Okay, so we know Arnold is the father in this movie. We know Sinbad also is a father in this movie. We know that Ted's a father in this movie. This movie's full of fathers. Who is the daddy? The actual Turbo Man. (laughs) Turbo Man, the doll, the fictional character, the comic book hero, the action figure, Turbo Man is the daddy because he is in control of all things and you will do as daddy says or your Christmas is ruined. Mm. <laughs> Boy, that's grim. Sarah, who is uh, who is yours? You know, it's got to be Phil Hartman. And another depressing reality is that Phil Hartman is no longer with us. Mm. And I feel like my childhood was like really defined by Phil Hartman, yeah, same. actually, <laughs> same. because he was in everything. And I grew up watching a ton of Saturday Night Live reruns and, you know, he was all over The Simpsons. And to me, and I mean, this is part of why we do these episodes this month. Like to me, a lot of the joy of childhood, as depressing as that may sound, is like funny things people did on TV. Mm -hmm. And, And the holidays were about holiday TV. And like Phil Hartman was just like a light of my childhood. He was just always wonderful and everything. And I also think he sounds like Troy McClure in this, which is really fun to have live action Troy McClure. He really does. One of my favorite Phil Hartman bits on Saturday Night Live that I remember from being a child is is I didn't even understand the conceit at the time, but he was an audiobook reader reading Madonna's (laughs) sex book. Yeah. He's like, sometimes I like to look at my vagina. Yes. Was that him doing Charlton Heston, I think? Probably. There I said it. Vagina. (laughs) I've seen an unfortunate number of reviews um, who have pointed out that in their opinion, it is a shame that this is the last movie that was released while he was still with us because Mm -hmm. everything that follows Jingle All the Way was released posthumously. And to me, that has always felt like such a cruel and bitter 
criticism that people hold against this movie. Like it's the dark night. <laughs> Make sure you die when a good movie's out. Yeah, that's very much the energy <laughs> that I feel like where I think maybe they're really upset about this movie because they maybe they don't like it. They didn't understand it, what have you. But with this being his last film release while he's alive, people have sort of taken that as a personal affront. Mm. And it's a shame because I wish more people would use this movie as a way to embrace and push forward what a brilliant performer he was because he's incredible in this movie he's so funny so so funny it's, even when he's not doing his Troy McClure isms like you know he, he's all confident with the cookies and feeling great and then he burns his hand on it and immediately screams at the children and it's so yeah. out of character <laughs> but he switches on a dime yeah. because he is a professional and he knows how to like just perfect comedic timing. He's incredible in totally. this movie. Yeah. Phil, I mean, Phil Hartman was the funniest thing on screen in literally anything, like anything he was oh, in, God, yeah. he appeared, he was, he was the best. My, I mean, my daddy is just like Phil Hartman generally, but also like just any time he doesn't have to do anything like in this movie, anytime Martin Mull is on screen, in anything <laughs> I think it's the funny I don't know why like I love like I was introduced to Martin Mull through Roseanne where he played the gay shop owner with uh, Fred Willard as his partner <laughs> love 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 him I love his entire career I love everything about him so but that's not like movie context I guess like in the movie context it'd probably be Sinbad who's just doing his fucking best he's just doing his best poor old Sinbad I mean this like this movie is also a pretty apt commentary on like who's allowed to assault the police and it's the Austrian guy. <laughs> yes. yes. Say more about that quickly. Well, because like this movie features Arnold's character and Sinbad's character both engaging in like similar degrees of borderline criminal to actually criminal mayhem to try and get this toy. And only one of them ends up with a bunch of guns pointed at him and cuffs on at the end. VJ, mm. mm -hmm. where can people find you? Um, you do so many things. Where can people find these things? So the easiest place to find me is on Twitter. It's just my name at BJ Colangelo, but I'm also on Instagram and TikTok under the same handle. And I'm a full-time writer over at Slash Film, so you can find a lot of my musings over there, a lot of my rants about Christmas movies, because tis the season, um, they're over there as well. And I co-host This Ends at Prom with my wife Harmony, a podcast where we look at coming-of-age movies geared towards teen girls. Um, I grew up having a great deal of nostalgia for them. My wife Harmony is transgender, so she was socialized as a boy and has not seen most of them. So we analyze the, the gender politics, the staying power, the cultural relevance, and all of that fun stuff over there. So you can find that where you get your podcasts. And you're our Sassy Sister podcast. Yes, we are the Sassy Teen Sister podcast because, I mean, you're always going to be our podcast dads, even though you're not just <laughs> yeah. dads anymore. We're dads and. It's an honor. We love your show so much. Thank you so much for, for being here. It's really, it's really delightful to have you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for letting me talk about a movie everyone makes fun of me for loving. Anytime. Oh, those, those people are silly. Just tell them that they'll never escape the clammy embrace of capitalism. <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of You Are Good. 
thank you to BJ for showing up and talking about Jingle All the Way and bringing this movie to us. Thank you to you for being a part of uh, this whole community. We really appreciate you showing up every week and listening to the show and telling your friends about it. It means so much to us. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick, our producer and music director, for making the show sound great. You can find Carolyn's music at carolynkendrick.com. She has made a record of songs that have shown up in episodes of You Are Good. It's called The Music of You Are Good, Volume 1. You can find that streaming. You can find that on Bandcamp. You can find that in a number of different places. And she has an EP called Tear Things Apart, which you can check out. Uh, Joe, You'll find it all at the link. It'll be great. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Patreon, where you find bonus episodes. Remember, we're doing Hook. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, Fresh Lash, for the beats. You make the show sound great. All right. I think that's it. Remember, we're watching Scrooge next week. Scrooged. We'll see you soon. You are good, everybody. Thank you.